welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Dr. Peter Cole, thanks for coming back on Defraction Line. We're really excited to have you on. You're no stranger to our podcast, but if you don't mind, just giving us another little blurb about who you are, where you're practicing, what your practice is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I live in Minnesota. I'm a professor at the University of Minnesota. I've been here for almost 20 years now. I was charged with uh, building a trauma department, and uh, that expanded to a full orthopedic service line within Health Partners, which is a a large organization that partners with the University of Minnesota. And uh, it's been a great journey. We've uh, developed uh, many educational programs and uh, expanded faculty, a research lab. And um, it's been a labor of love to grow uh, the the North Star Trauma Network, which is a network of hospitals that uh, we supply orthopedic trauma services throughout the metropolitan area, making uh, Minnesota, the safest place to break a bone. No matter which hospital you go to, you'll be treated by a fracture expert. Before that, I was uh, uh, trained in uh, University of Miami, Brown, and Seattle. I spent several years at the University of Mississippi in Jackson prior to coming to Minnesota, uh, which I affectionately call the black hole of medicine because uh, <laughs> they're first or last in just about, or last in just about every category. And so it's great to uh, build a clinical experience. Um, I'm a husband of uh, 36 years, a dad, three kids. I uh, originally hail from Massachusetts, so I'm an avid sports fan, as you might imagine. And I spend a lot of time uh, in Massachusetts and Miami, where it's a great place to spend free time. Awesome. So, uh, Dr. Cole, you're widely known as the scapula guy, at least uh, at least with uh, the Seawis group. Did you did you run your uh, Minnesota scapula course this year? No, we we took a two. Uh, a two-year pause. It's a um, in-person, uh, almost all human anatomic specimen course and case studies. So, based on the uh, state of affairs uh, locally uh, and our draw internationally, um, we we needed to do that. I am happy to say one of the first courses I, I, I did coming out of the pandemic was the first ever all scapula course in Madrid, uh, Spain. Uh, it was uh, uh, now uh, two or three months ago, and it was uh, a um, AO course. Arbeitsgemeinschaft für Osteosynthesis Fragen is the uh, Society for the Internal Fixation of Fractures. That's a Swiss-German term. And uh, so that's our global, our global educational network. And this is the first ever uh, course dedicated entirely to the scapula, two and a half days. Um, there was a lot of uh, human specimen dissection in that course as well, just an acclaimed faculty um, so that that was that was uh, a, a nice uh, substitute for the Minnesota scapula course, which is well underway in its planning for this coming year in September. So all of us have different questions we want to ask you, Dr. Dr. Cole. Uh, my biggest question it has to do with with um, who you have presenting all of your data um, at our meetings. It impresses the hell out of me that you have these medical students or pre-med students. Who are so are mentored so well in your in your lab that they can present 
with such um, confidence at our meetings. Mm-hmm. How do you find them? Because I'd love to find some, you know, in, in Kansas City area. You know, I, I think that's a, it's an interesting question. It's it's certainly um, uh, wonderful to hear that comment. Thank you very much. I, I started a program to get my own research career up off the ground here in Minnesota, whereby I took a research fellow and I would focus on people that did not get into orthopedics and uh, and people who really wanted to get into orthopedics. And so I started this fellowship program, which wanted to be two years. In other words, one year would not do it uh, because their CV really wouldn't significantly change for the interview cycle and application cycle to get into residency in the one year. And what happens in two years is that uh, they really become bona fide researchers. They have a new tool that they can use, a new passion that they have. They can get into it vertically in a way that just makes them uh, a serious academicians at a young age. And, and I spend a lot of time with my research team. We meet all the time. Their office is down the hall. So we, we have weekly meetings uh, where we check in and and create accountability there, and uh, it's it's a lot of clinical research. So they have interactions with with the patients, and and I, I think they can they can see at the bench and at the computer, you know, how their work connects to clinical practice with uh, you know wonderful patient outcome stories. Interestingly, I am just about to publish a paper on that research experience as a model after eleven fellows. 10 of the 11 have gotten into orthopedic residency. And what's also interesting is that half of those, uh, over half of those, uh, 60% are what we would call diversity candidates now. Now, that wasn't the way I started out. It's just the way it, uh, it happened. In fact, three of those 11 that got into orthopedics were trained overseas for medical school. Uh, one from Germany, one from Venezuela, one from Mexico. Um, which is the, the, the chance of getting into orthopedics coming from a foreign medical school is essentially near zero. So the point is, is that these two-year fellowships of highly motivated people who are willing to run through a brick wall for you to help build their candidacy to get into residency is just a, a really great model for both the candidate as well as you know, me, the faculty member, and and my partners here in the department. So I think that's part of the answer. I mean, the other is that we're obviously uh, closely connected to a university uh, uh, program, and and I see it as part of our opportunity and educational model for very special people. You know, know, we sort through a number of CVs to try to pick the right people. And I mean, I also want to give a tribute to my, my executive director of, of, of the research program because they themselves are, are significant mentors in, in these young people's lives. And, uh, and they really help, you know, connect me and them to, to the work in a way that makes it work quite well. Well, again, thank you so much for what you're doing because I think that that model is really helpful. You know, a lot of times people get, get residents to do the, the dirty work for them. But it sounds like you're doing a lot of it for the residents, and that's really, really amazing. So great job there. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Peter, you know, we've had, we've had a relationship now, a CWIS-based relationship now for a couple of years, and I, I'm just wondering if you could 
reflect a little bit upon the positives and negatives and the, you know, are we, are we bearing any fruit from this, uh, from this relationship and what can we do to, to make that happen if we're not? Um, well, I, uh, my, my history with, with Wisk goes back three years. I remember you and, and Fred Piracci were a couple of the, the, the first doctors I met in the Wisk reception there. I felt like a, an oddball. I think I was the only orthopedic surgeon. Maybe McKee was there that year as well. But, you know, one of the first things that impressed me was that clearly a young, dynamic group that wasn't stuck in its ways, that were figuring out new ways to do things. And, you know, frankly, it reminded me of my own society 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I first started going as a resident. It was uh, fresh and uh, special. You invited me to become a, a member of the education committee, which I was excited to do. And I can't believe, you know, how by leaps and bounds each year, you know, the annual meeting changes. I hope we don't lose that ability to be facile and and creative and and inclusive i mean that that was another thing that struck me was that it's a fantastic space for interdisciplinary care between uh orthopedic surgeons and thoracic surgeons and trauma surgeons i i have to say you know i i felt pretty cool being able to hang out with uh real trauma surgeons and thoracic uh, surgeons and uh, get educated and uh, and hear some of the titans of the field, you know, give these honorary career addresses. And I, I mean, I, I think in some ways I'm a, I'm a general trauma surgeon at heart. You know, I love the, uh, I've always loved critical care, surgery of the pelvis. And, and so the chest wall interests me in a similar way. The sense of inclusivity was impressive because I wasn't marginalized in the meeting, but rather, you know, there were just many questions that, that came to me about, you know, what, what do you think about whether this plate is long enough? Or I've had a lot of fun trying to teach um, how to harvest iliac crest bone graft for segmental defects or non-unions. Uh, felt that I was filling a, a gap that needed to, to be filled in order to make us complete healers, if you will. I think that clearly orthopedic surgeons don't know their way around the thorax and it's unfamiliar territory. And most, most people just don't like to do what's unfamiliar. Uh, but there's some unfamiliar unfamiliarity with, with the thoracic uh, community as well and the general surgery community with, with bones. So it's, it's just a great place to marry up and uh, and learn from each other and and promote uh, interdisciplinary care in our hospitals and health systems. I, I think of many examples in the in the past couple of years that have arisen cases where people can't find a general or thoracic surgeon to fix ribs. And the orthopods can't find that, and then the the general surgeons and and thoracic surgeons can't find uh, an orthopedic surgeon to fix the adjacent bones that are broken. I feel like we've made some progress in that area. Yeah, I would agree uh, wholeheartedly with that. I, I'm I'm anxious for us to start generating some data that that these combined approaches, fixing all the pathology, not just the ribs in a four quarter injury or just the clavicle, I, is beneficial to the patients. I, I, that data is is sorely lacking, but we're getting there. It'll go a long ways, I think, in in, in fostering this this mutual endeavor. So so you've literally and figuratively you have you're helping us fill the gap, Peter. I appreciate that very much. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, it's it's interesting that we you know we spend five or six years in our residencies uh, basically uh, thinking uh, all, all day and all night about 
how to fix a bone and how bones heal and and uh, you know what the difference between primary and secondary fracture healing is and how how you get one mode of healing to work for you because at the end of the day every healed fracture is a race between an implant breaking and the bone healing and if we don't know how to win that race you know then we're we're behind the eight ball and and patients suffer so by the same token trauma surgeons think all the time and train all the time and spend their residency learning how to get in and out of the thorax and and that's not something that orthopedic surgeons do so i I feel like it's it's a natural place to uh, to work together. We don't have too many orthopedic members, and I you know I couldn't agree more. You, you guys just fill that gap so well for us in terms of that bone healing and science. What can CWIS do to increase our numbers here, or our presence of orthopedic surgeons? What's your what are some suggestions you might have? Well, I think we're making inroads, um, and and you start by you know populating uh, panels with with orthopedic surgery. I think that maybe it would would make sense to uh, get an orthopedic surgeon on the membership committee. I think we could work at a leadership level between our executive leadership uh, in the OTA and and uh, CWIS to uh, basically acknowledge each other and a- acknowledge that there's there's a gap that we can only fill together. I'm starting to have those conversations and trying to connect key people in CWIS with key people in uh, the Orthopedic Trauma Association. Also, it's it's another great society. In fact, of the subspecialty societies in orthopedics, it's uh, arguably Arguably, could you know you could say that the Orthopedic Trauma uh, Association is the strongest subspecialty society based on its uh, success in the research domain. Very well-run uh, organization. We're proud of it inside of you know trauma. I think it it has something to do with the collegiality and esprit de corps in the trauma community in orthopedics. I imagine that's true in in uh, in surgery as well and, uh, from that you know you you just get great professional networks and associations which leads to you know good leadership and collaborative work that manifests in research trials and and educational initiatives and political action committees and and the whole thing dr cole thanks thanks so much for coming on we really appreciate it it was great to see you again yeah thank you mark that was fun. So, yeah. no, yeah, let's do a final <laughs> Adam, you got one? Uh, the only thing I have on my mind right now is Omicron. <laughs> Everyone's gone. Everyone's out. Uh, we're all dropping like flies. And one thing that occurs to me is that it, it is clear to me that the education of residents and fellows, med students, during this pandemic has suffered greatly. And the reason is because of all the, the loss of OR space, the loss of staffing, the, the isolation, the decreased elective surgeries. And, you know, the, the these are the same people that are going to be, you know, treating our uh, rib fractures and hip fractures in 40 years when we fall down the stairs. So it, the onus is upon us as leaders to figure out how to educate these uh, uh, these kids, if you will, uh, I, I really mean that. I mean, I think we're we're graduating uh, 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 two or three classes of of trainees that are nowhere near as competent, and it's not their fault. I mean, I feel bad for them. I mean, I look at our situation here, um, where medical school, the med student shadowing opportunities are are still not allowed 
uh, for example. You know, when are we going to get over this? We're, we're going to the gym, we're going to restaurants, we're going to sporting events, and yet, you know, in the hospital, we're not allowed to educate medical students. Are you kidding me? And, and I think the same is true for, for you know, the, the elective work that we need to uh, take responsibility in training our residents. We have to look for new and creative ways of doing things. I, I feel like the staffing thing is, uh, you know, I'll give you a story from yesterday. I'm trying to recruit um, an orthopedic surgeon whose wife is an ER physician, and they're from Chicago, so she needs a job. And it so happens, I was looking around to see if I could get some leads, and there are 60 ER physicians needed in, in the practices here between the different health systems and the Twin Cities. And I said, well, what's going on? Why is this? And they said, well, it's because all the ER physicians are shrinking their footprint. You know, they want to work fewer days and shorter shifts. And it's just leaving a, um, a, a, a massive vacuum. So we're going to be populating a lot more shifts. And the same thing is happen happening in, in primary care. And I think we need to start getting very creative about uh, uh, staffing and doing things the old way. Trying to hire the old way isn't going to work. You know, last of all, I think that there's so much animosity around... Uh, uh, around our society, uh, differences, uh, uh, the pandemic brings them out and, and heightens these. And I think it's important to start focusing on what we have in common rather than starting with what our differences are. Because at the end of the day, you know, our charge is to love each other, right? And, and you can't do that if you dive right into your differences and start throwing uh, arguments and, and darts and putting up barriers. So, like, you know, we, we all have very common needs and wishes as human beings, and we should start with those and then work outward and solve our uh, differences rather than marginalize each other. 